Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. All right. So Lauren, all week, obviously, we've had the confirmation hearing for Judge Amy Coney Barrett going on. She's been testifying uh, before the Senate Judiciary Committee. I've been tuning in at various times to to different uh, parts of her testimony, listening in. It's been pretty incredible to watch. She's so poised. I feel like she has such a grace about her. Do you have any favorite moments uh, so far during the hearing? I mean, it has to be when she holds up that (laughs) blank notebook. And I don't even remember who, but somebody goes, you know, is there literally anything on that paper? And she goes, yeah, the U.S. Senate header. I mean, (laughs) it's amazing. But uh, Virginia, so I'm in charge of live streaming it for the Daily Signal. So I've literally watched every second of this hearing. Oh, wow. You're invested. Yeah, I mean, but even last night, it was like 8.30. And me and my, actually, I made my parents sit down and we watched on the television. And it's just, it's so interesting because she's just so poised and her answers are so well thought out. I mean, even hour 11 of this thing. So it's just, it's, it's so fun to watch and, um, you know, both sides are coming at her and, you know, she just kind of sits there and smiles and, and calmly and, you know, very intelligently answers every question. So it's been amazing, I think, also to see, I feel like how comfortable she is in the fact that, you know, she knows the law so well. She's so well versed in the law. But then also, you know, if if there's things that she's not familiar with, I've been really pleased to see that she's just sort of like, oh, I I wasn't aware of that. And she just kind of leaves it at that. And it's like this bold confidence of I know what I know. I know the law very, very well. And when she's kind of thrown these random bizarre questions, like she doesn't go down rabbit holes. She just maintains this very professional and poised stance, which I just really appreciate. Because that's exactly what you want in a judge, Virginia. You want someone who will take the information in front of them and make the best decision possible. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Well, and as we have mentioned on uh, the show before, so this Saturday, the Women's March is holding uh, a socially distanced march of some sort around the country. Uh, They're encouraging people to march. It seems like essentially marching against a woman, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, which seems somewhat ironic and contradictory. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're going to dive a little bit more into that later in the show. But, you know, I feel like, Lauren, we've talked about how, you know, the Women's March, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't represent all women. And I would say it really doesn't represent the values of most American women. So I feel like we should come up with a new name for the Women's March, to pitch to them. It'd be really helpful. Something that actually represents them. Maybe something with the word woke in it? I don't know. Do you have any ideas? <laughs> well, we always say on this the show, the so-called feminist left. So I, I like the so-called Women's March with, uh, <laughs> you know, quotations around it to, just to really hit the sarcasm hard. That's perfect. That's perfect. I don't know if they would go for it, but hey, you never know. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we have a great show planned for today. So, Lauren, what do we have queued up? Up on today's Problematic Women, Virginia talks with Ellen Trucks-Claire, author of the book Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman. They talk about the Women's March, Judge Barrett's confirmation hearing, and how conservative women can become leaders in their communities. 
Plus, we hear from four women who have worked with and know Judge Amy Coney Barrett personally and professionally. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and encourage others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. I am joined by Ellen Troxclair, author of Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman, also host of the podcast Step Up, and a senior fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Ellen, thank you so much for being here. Of course. I'm excited to chat. Now, you have such an interesting story about how you got involved in the world of of public policy and being uh, an active, conservative female voice in your city. Could you just give us uh, a little bit of, of your background, of your story of how you got involved in public policy? Sure. Um, yeah, after I, you know, graduated from uh, college, I, I got a job at the Texas State Capitol and got kind of got my feet wet as a staffer for a state representative up there and really enjoyed that work, but certainly always enjoyed being in the background, being the person who was, you know, writing the speech, not delivering the speech. And, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years and the Austin City Council was went through kind of a, a dramatic uh, re redo of how they were structured. And um, it occurred to me that, wow, we might actually get to elect someone with, that we support with a little bit of common sense that leans a little bit more conservative um, to the very liberal Austin City Council. And just to, to set the stage, I mean, you know, Rick Perry likes to call Austin the, the blueberry in the tomato soup. Um, it, it is, yes, Texas is a very red state, but Austin is incredibly liberal. Um, and we haven't we hadn't had a, really a, a single conservative serving on the Austin City Council for as long as I could remember. But um, I kind of woke up one day and first of all realized that none of the candidates running were really talking about the issues that were important to me as you know a young newlywed who had just you know pulled all our money to try to buy our new house who were struggling to pay our property taxes. Um, they weren't talking about our insane property tax growth. They weren't talking about effective spending or efficiency or transparency or what we were going to do to not go the way of San Francisco. And so I kind of woke up one morning and said, well, I think I'm going to run for city council. And, you know, everybody, I was definitely the underdog. Um, Yeah, I was, I was, I was 29. So when I was ultimately elected, I was the youngest woman to ever serve on the Austin city council and um, was the only conservative as well uh, for, for part of my term. So uh, it presented a really unique challenge, but man, it was so rewarding and so important. And it has given me an incredible platform to talk about why it's so important that we get more conservative women involved in policy and politics. Well, and I love this phrase that you you use. You say that there are sleeping giants of conservative women in America. And I think that's true. I think there are so many women that 
are conservative, but maybe they might not even realize that they're conservative, or they might be really hesitant to speak out and say, I'm a woman and I'm conservative. So uh, was, was that really part of the reason of what led you to write the book Step Up was this desire to kind of give voice to conservative women? Yeah. I mean, I had so many women who would reach out with, out to me while I was in office, you know, and, and in kind of hushed tone, you know, at our local coffee shop so that nobody would overhear or say, I'm, I'm conservative and I'm really worried about the direction of our city. What do I do about it? And, um, and, and absolutely, you know, you, you feel like, am I the, you know, you scroll through your social media or, um, you know, you see the signs as you're driving through your neighborhood and you're like, man, am I the only one? And, and it makes women less likely to speak up. But I, I really felt like sharing my story about how I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't an incumbent. I didn't have a political science degree. I didn't, I wasn't self-funded. I didn't have a lot of money. Um, I was a horrible public speaker. I don't know if that's improved or not over the last five years, but, um, like I had, there were so many reasons for me to not run for office. I mean, it was really kind of, you know, I want to say a harebrained idea, but now I realize it was, it was the best idea. And I'm, I'm so grateful that, um, I really didn't have a lot of dis- time to kind of go back on my decision. I, I put my name on the ballot and, and I had no choice but to go forward. And um, that those fears that women constantly kind of face this confidence gap of feeling like you have to, they're not qualified enough or um, they're not well-informed enough or they're not an expert on a certain topic. And therefore they're, they're not the right person to step up and run for office. And so I found that the more people that I, I shared my story with personally, the more confidence it gave them to say, well, yeah, I, I guess, I, I guess I've never thought about it before. You know, on average, um, there's this statistic that um, men are they either like to think of themselves as the, as the right person to run for office or it only takes them one time to be asked. Uh, and women on average need to be asked to run for office seven times before, before they really do it. So uh, yeah, this is, this is kind of a very real thing that I, that I dove into in my research for the book. Um, but ultimately I didn't want it to be a book that was just fun to read or a cool story or interesting. I wanted it to spur action. I wanted somebody to put it down and say, I can do this. I can join, um, you know, my lo- my local political club. I can volunteer for a candidate who I support. I can run for school board. Um, and so the, the part two of the book is actually a, a how-to guide of how to actually get involved and make a difference. And so I've been just absolutely overwhelmed by the response that I've that I've gotten from it. Um, and 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 ultimately, that was the goal was to just have you know women feel like they were the the person that your community needs right now. I'm really interested in you uh, listing those statistics that on average, really a man only needs to be asked once to run for public office. And he says, I'm in. And for a woman to be asked seven times, that's really fascinating to hear that, how big that gap is. Um, and I, I just love that you took a really practical approach to this book. Cause I think, uh, you know, we, we hear that a lot that kind of, you should step up, you should be involved politically but it's like, okay, yes, great. How do I do that? Right. Uh, so I, I love that you've taken that practical approach. Can you maybe just give us a little bit of a teaser in the book of some of those guidelines that you give for this is how you can go about getting involved? Right. Well, first of all, I mean, I would just say, ask yourself that question, not, not do I want to run for office, but 
if you were going to run for office, what office would you run for? What office do you feel like um, is really important in your everyday lives that their decisions, um, whether it's a local city council, whether it's a state legislature or um, you know, the federal government, what, what decisions are the people in power making that are really affecting you and your family? Um, I think we get so overwhelmed with the news coverage of federal politics and the presidential election sometimes that we forget that the things that are closest to home, and it, and it has come out really in, this, um, in these kind of unprecedented COVID times, that really so much of the decision-making is being driven by the local school boards and the local city councils. And so, um, so that, that's the first thing, is, is don't assume that somebody else is all already, you know, is always the answer. Um, women are, you know, I feel like the kind of fabric of the community that binds us together. They're the volunteers in our, our churches and our schools. They're raising smart children. Like, we're doing so much, often with the support of really amazing um, and encouraging men. But, you know, to think that, I'm going to throw another statistic at you. Um, there have... Of all of the people who have ever been elected to the United States Congress, only less than one half of 1% have ever been women. 11,000 people have been elected to the United States Congress and only about 350 have ever been women, less than one half of 1%. So, so there is, um, and it's not because there's not smart, capable, qualified, conservative women out there. Um, it's just that we have so much else on our plate. So kind of circling back to your question of what can you do? So ask yourself that question. Um, if you're not in a place that you can consider running for office right now, think about your friends who are amazing and accomplished and doing so much. And would they be willing to step up and talk to them about it? Um, and if, if that is not an option either, you know, think about the candidates who you support. You know, you can block walk for them. You can donate to them. Um, you can get involved in organizations like the policy circle where kind of kind of like a book club where you get together with your friends and you talk about policy briefs um, so that so that you're closing that confidence gap and um, making women feel more informed and kind of feel more um, willing to put themselves out there and, and, and talk about issues that are that are facing our communities. But um, there are so many ways to do it. It's just a matter of what works for, for you and your lifestyle and in your family right now. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's uh, really practical. I, I always love it when it's like, give me, give me something foundational that I can do today that I can start doing right now. So thank you for sharing that. And it's, um, I mean, I can't tell you, I mean, I have heard from women all over the country. A, a woman just reached out from South Carolina saying, um, you know, that she had always been hesitant to get involved in politics. And she uh, got involved in her local Republican women's club after reading the book, got another um, email from someone saying that they're going to run for their city council after reading the book. So it's just, it, it really, um, it really has been inspiring for me to see how many women have been impacted by, by my story. I mean, I still feel like I think of myself as the I, it's still also real to me that yeah I kind of still think of myself as that you know little capital staffer and um, and it, and it's crazy that people want to hear from me and want to hear what I have to say because because um, I still face a confidence gap you know I still face like are you sure that I'm the right person to speak out about this issue um, but kind of the constant positive reinforcement that I get when I do speak up from women all across the country really kind of helps motivate me to to keep being vocal. 
Well, I, I think it's so encouraging when you see someone like yourself, who's, who's a normal person, who's a wife and a mom, and is just concerned about their community. They see what's going on. They want to make change. And, and you've stepped up and you're doing it. And that feels really empowering uh, just to see someone normal who's stepping up and, and, and making a difference. That's a big deal. I, I, did have a, I didn't have kids when I ran, but I had two children while I was in office and a third shortly thereafter. So, wow. um, you know, I, I was challenged one time to think about whether, I whether or not I would have run for office after I had children. Like if, that, if, if I hadn't done it before I had children. And it would have definitely been a more difficult decision just because you know, kids are, are time consuming and important. And, um, but I got to the point where I realized, well, first of all, I didn't have any choice because I was in office for four years and I was sitting on, I mean, we have council meetings that go, you know, well into the wee hours of the morning till 2am. So thank goodness for a husband who was incredibly supportive. Um, but you know, I got to the point where I realized how great it was for me to be setting that example for my children. And then I know, even though it was hard to be away from them right now that I knew that they were going to be proud proud of me um, when they were old enough to understand what I was doing for them and for our community. So I just, I want, I guess I'm throwing that plug out there because I know how overwhelmingly busy moms are. Um, and I don't want that to be a reason not to get involved. Take your kids with you, you know, take your kids with you to vote or volunteer or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's an incredible learning experience for them. Well, Ellen, I feel like that's the perfect segue to talk about uh, another mom, another conservative woman who's really making a big splash in the news right now, and that's Judge Amy Coney Barrett. She's obviously been testifying all week long in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and on Tuesday morning, Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein questioned her about her views on abortion and healthcare, among a number of things, and it was really impressive to see how Judge Barrett was very clear in the fact that, you know, as a judge, she follows the law and interprets the law strictly and doesn't allow her own personal views to be a part of that decision making. But I uh, would love to hear from you just your thoughts on her nomination and on, uh, you know, what we've seen from the Senate so far and what we've seen from Judge Barrett. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I really just admire her strength under, well, her, her, her willingness, because she knew that this was going to be a gauntlet um, when she agreed to be put forward. And kudos to her for not being in intimidated and for stepping up. I mean, what an incredible opportunity to have the first woman ever with school-aged children serving on our Supreme Court. This is a person that I feel like the feminist movement should, should rally behind. It is sad that we've gotten to the point that these nominations turn so personal so quickly, and I think it's only a sign of how well qualified she really is. It's pretty hard to attack her on her record as a judge. I think she would bring really good insight and kind of intellectual diversity to our Supreme Court, and I hope that she's confirmed. I don't understand this talking point of, you know, women's groups saying, like the Women's March, saying, you know, we, we oppose her nomination. I mean, how can you say that you support women um, and say that you don't support her. It's just really disheartening to me. And the fact that there have been 29 vacancies in the Supreme Court over, you know, over history in the last year of a presidency and 29 times a president has nominated someone to fill that vacancy. So 
President Trump is not doing anything out of the ordinary. He is not doing anything unusual. It is absolutely his responsibility as the president of the United States to nominate someone to fill this position. And, and constitutionally, it's up to the Senate to say yes or no. So we'll see how they go, but I'm pretty optimistic. Well, and you mentioned the Women's March. They're actually holding a march this Saturday. Um, they they wrote on their website, I'll, I'll read the quote, they say that they are holding socially distant actions across the country to send an unmistakable message about the fierce opposition to Trump and his agenda, including his attempt to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Uh, I, you know, I probably shouldn't be surprised uh, that they're kind of this open and blatant about opposing a female, conservative, very qualified woman to the Supreme Court. But I must say, I was a little surprised when I found out that they're pretty much holding a march specifically to protest Judge Barrett's nomination. I mean, does, does this surprise you or is it sort of like, well, this is just more of, of what you get with the Women's March? I mean, I, I'm like you, I shouldn't be surprised, but I kind of was. I mean, I just don't, I don't see how, um, how, how they can oppose a, a female judge being put forward when they're called the Women's March. And it kind of circled, this whole issue circles back to the theme of my book, Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman, and why it is so important that we have conservative female voices at the table. Um, I am not saying vote for someone only because she's a woman. I am saying there are lots of well-qualified, um, smart, capable women out there, and we need to get them on the ballot so that we have the opportunity to elect them. Because if we don't, and because we haven't, we have allowed the left to overtake the narrative and put themselves out there as the party of the woman, which as you and I know, absolutely does not represent you or me or many of the other friends um, that we know. And so how do we get back? I mean, and, and, and really it's up to us to change it. You know, we can blame, there, there's, lots of, there's lots of reasons why, and we can blame the media and we can blame this person or that person or whatever, but it's up to us to change it, right? The sleeping giant of, of conservative women across the country who I know if they did, what is the one thing that they can do um, to get more involved in policy and politics and to make the other women around them know that they're not alone in their beliefs. And the more voices that we can have at the table, the easier it is for us to stand up and say, no, Women's March, you do not represent all women. We do support the nomination of you know, Judge Barrett. We do uh, support what, whatever it is, what, whatever it is, whether it's response. I'm so tired also of, you know, women's issues only being limited to reproductive rights. It's like, I care about the economy. I care about transportation infrastructure. I care about schools. I care about all of these other things that we, you know, I guess don't get to have an opinion on because it's not under the title of women's rights. And again, it is a left's narrative that has allowed them to kind of gain the support of a, of a younger generation that believes that the right doesn't have, uh, doesn't have women's and families' best interests in mind. Well, and one of the points that I find so refreshing in your book is that you say, you know, we can be fully empowering women while at the same time still honoring and empowering men that we don't have to degrade men in order for women to rise it can be both and right yes and that is such an important point i'm so glad that you brought it up i you know looking back on how i 
came to be elected uh, to the Austin City Council and gone on to do the things that I have since my term ended, it was in large part due to amazing men who were kind of at my side the whole way. I mean, my, my husband, who was kind of willing to take on more of the duties with the kids um, while I was at late council meetings and support me while I was block walking on the weekends and, and all of those things. Um, my bosses, uh, you know, Representative Jason Isaac, I was his chief of staff before I decided to run. And he was like, absolutely, you can do this. I really don't want to lose you as my chief of staff, but, but this is, you know, this is your moment. And he came and stood at the polls with me and, uh, and block walked with me. And so the narrative out there that women rising has to be at the expense of men, I just, not only is it not true, it's also not effective. I mean, if you're saying that there's a problem that we need to fix and that that problem is women's, you know, limited representation at all levels of government, is somebody going to be more like more or less likely to help you if you are berating them in the process, right? I mean, we um, men are so important, strong men are important to, well, our society as a whole and our families and, and in all of these other capacities. But in order to, to kind of get them on, I mean, I don't want to get them on our side because it's not about choosing sides, but um, it is an issue that I think mo most men maybe aren't aware of. And the right way to approach it is to say like, hey, would you mind supporting me if I made this decision? Or do you know women that uh, you would think would be good for running for office? Did you know that less than one half of 1% of all of the elected congressmen and women have ever been women? Um, and, and, and most of them don't. And so it's a, it's a collaborative conversation and, um, and they know, to, and it makes their job. So, you know, going into the policy side of things, it makes their job easier too, because the thing that we all have in common is that we care about limited government and individual liberty and freedom and, um, and all of these kind of principles that tie us together as conservatives and having the right spokespeople making the argument for those principles at the right time is what helps us to get our policy priorities passed, right? Um, if you only have, you know, people who look one way speaking on one specific topic, it sends the message that, well, maybe if I don't look or act or feel like, you know, maybe if I have a different hair color or different, whatever it is, um, maybe they're different from me. So if you have the right spokespeople available to speak up for those topics at the right time, it really benefits all of us. Um, you know, of, of course, uh, abortion is one very obvious issue that, if, you know, if you have a, a, a liberal woman against a, a conservative man, it's just, it's, it's too easy to kind of give them a, a point there. So, um, and, and those men also have mothers and wives and daughters who um, they want to raise to be strong conservative women. So again, it's kind of, it's kind of this argument of we're all in this together. Um, it's, it's an issue that we should be talking about. We should, we need to figure out how we get more conservative women kind of off the sidelines and into the, into the arena, because that's the most effective way to make a difference in our communities and in our uh, states. Um, but men are a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. I so agree. Couldn't have said it better. So good, Ellen. So the book is called Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman. It can be found on Amazon, wherever books are sold. But Ellen, before we let you go, I want to ask you one final question. We love to ask all of our guests here on Problematic Women this question. And that is, uh, do you consider yourself a feminist? Why or why not? <laughs> it is so funny that you asked that because that is my, the leading question. And I think it's chapter two of the book. Are you a feminist? 
And it tackles this exact same issue. It's like so hard to answer this question. Um, I, I um, do not consider myself a, a feminist in kind of the, the way that the term has been interpreted, but I do consider myself a feminist in just the strict definition of, of the word, that um, I believe that women are equal to men and, um, and that I support women in, in their many talents and, and capacities. But we gotta we gotta come up with a new term. I, I know. Guess, maybe it's a problematic woman, right? It's like maybe. That yeah, we'll we'll claim that. <laughs> that term has been so fraught with um, with politics. It's really hard to say one way or another. But uh, but but I am still struggling. When I wrote that book, I said we need to we need to have a new term for what it means to be a strong conservative woman that doesn't have to identify with the liberal policies that often come with the label of feminism. So we'll work on that together. Yeah. Yeah. We'll work on it. But I, I like the idea of just calling it a problematic woman. <laughs> I do too. Uh, Ellen, thank you so much. This has been so great chatting with you today. Again, for our listeners, if you want to check out the book, look up Step Up, How to Advocate Like a Woman. And Ellen, thank you. Yes, of course. And if there's anybody listening who wants to connect with me on social media, I'm easy to find. It's at Ellen Troxclair on you know Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the places. So thank you for what you do. Um, I love being a problematic woman and I'm so grateful for this podcast and for everything that you do. Oh, thank you, Ellen. So up next, we are going to hear from four women who either clerked for Judge Barrett or had her as a law professor at Notre Dame. These four women sat down with the Daily Signal to film a documentary and share why Judge Barrett is not only qualified to serve on the Supreme Court, but also just a really sincere and honest individual. So we want to play a portion of that documentary for you all today. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about where you can find the Daily Signal's latest videos and documentaries, and that is YouTube, of course. The Daily Signal YouTube page offers short videos that break down policy issues and some other long-form documentaries, like the one that you're about to hear, which often tell a personal story. So if you're not driving, go ahead, pull out your phone, and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube page. So as Virginia just mentioned, we're going to play a short clip of this documentary that we just produced on women who actually know Amy Coney Barrett. And I want to tell a little story about this. I think everybody on the show knows how much I love college football, right? I mean, I, I, can't, I talk about it all the time. Everyone is not related, like Virginia probably thinks right now. So this Saturday, I am with my family and we do these things called football days, right? And wings, snacks galore. And my niece is there. And it's just this great video. And here I am with my headphones on, like hunched over my laptop working. And my parents are like, what are you doing? Like football's on. We have all this stuff. And I'm like, mom, dad, this is so important that we get this documentary out as soon as possible. Like the people need to see this. They need to know who Amy Coney Barrett is. So I sacrificed my football day for this documentary. So wow, that's a big deal, Lauren. <laughs> it, really, it really is. I, I think it sounds silly, but you know, I'm just so passionate about this and I'm so excited how it turns out. And I'm, I'm just elated. We're going to show it on the show today. So go ahead, take a listen. And you know, you might even hear a familiar voice in there. 
She is an exceptional legal mind. She is so well qualified, and she's going to be a phenomenal Supreme Court justice. If confirmed, Amy Coney Barrett will become the fifth female U.S. Supreme Court justice. Barrett is a longtime law professor at Notre Dame. She's a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. But the critics don't care. We're talking to the students and the lawyers who actually know Barrett the judge, Barrett the professor, and Barrett the mom of seven children. Meet the real Amy Coney Barrett. She is the fairest, smartest, most qualified, no better person for this job. I want the world to know the judge that I know. The first time I heard of Judge Barrett was uh, after her confirmation hearing when the, the video of some of her exchanges with the senators went viral. The dogma lives loudly within you. I remember seeing that exchange and just being incredibly just blown away. And I remember thinking, you know, at that moment that she was exactly the kind of judge that I wanted to clerk for. I had the privilege of having then Professor Barrett at Notre Dame Law School for two classes. There are still many barriers that a blind person faces in terms of accessing information. I couldn't read my textbooks. I couldn't take notes. I was really struggling to keep up in class. It was a really terrifying experience. I sought Judge Barrett out because her character and reputation preceded her, and I followed her career while I was in law school, and to get the opportunity to work one-on-one with her was absolutely incredible. I clerked for Judge Barrett uh, for the 2018-2019 term, but I actually met her several years before that as a first-year student in her constitutional law class. What I was expecting from her was just practical advice. You know, this is the person you need to email, this is what you should say. But when I went to go talk to her, I found myself just talking with her not only about my technology problems, but also about all of the other struggles that I was having as a blind person at Notre Dame. Professor Barrett, she was very kind. She just allowed me to talk and to say my piece and to get out all of my my emotions and at the end of it she just very quietly but completely matter-of-factly told me this is not your problem anymore it's it's my problem a judge must apply the law as written judges are not policy makers and they must be resolute in setting aside any policy views they might hold. She was a tough professor, beloved but tough. Um, She always encouraged open dialogue in class, encouraged diverse viewpoints, and would push back on those viewpoints no matter what they were to help us as students try to reach the most refined and principled answer. And she does the same thing in chambers. She, She tries to use her clerks, use the arguments by the parties, use whatever is available to make sure that she is reaching the most principled answer, you know, separate from any personal preference or public pressure to get the right result under the law. Even though she is this incredible legal mind, she always took our views really seriously. She's a remarkable listener. She doesn't cut you off. She doesn't, you know, kind of kind of jump in. She always takes the time to hear what you have to say and, and, and talk through issues. I think we know a lot of the hot topic cases. One in particular, it was hard to kind of figure out what the right side was. And so she came into my office one day 
and was like, Marielle, I'm thinking about it in this direction. And I said, oh, well, I'm thinking about it in the totally other direction. And we spent an hour just going back and forth. The next day, she knocked on my door, stopped by my office again. She said, I think I'm kind of coming around to your side. And I said, I think I'm coming around to your side. And I think that what that really shows is that she values the opinion of those around her and she's not coming to the table with these preconceived notions of how cases should come out. She really does deliberate over them. Judge Barrett is a person of faith and it was evident in her life in the, in the way she loved people, in her kindness and her compassion, her generosity, her patience, um, and even her work ethic and enthusiasm for the job. But when she was deciding, um, cases in the decision-making process. Her faith had no role in her approach of applying the law as it is written. Ah, Lauren, it's so good. A huge thank you to you for sacrificing football day and to our colleague Rachel Del Judas. You both, I know, spent so much time working on that documentary, putting all of those pieces together. It sounds and looks excellent. So definitely check it out on the Daily Signal YouTube page. We'll be sure to put a link in today's uh, show notes as well. All right, but we are going to take uh, a quick break and then we'll be back with you in just a moment to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. America is at a crossroads. Each day we see the penalties of progressive policies across our nation, while night after night our city streets are set ablaze by riots and rage. That's why the Heritage Foundation has developed a plan to help take our country back. The Citizen's Guide to Fight for America provides a series of heritage-recommended action items delivered to you each week. Make an impact in your community and in our country. Sign up for the Citizen's Guide at heritage.org slash 2020 and join in the fight for America today. Welcome back. Now, it is that time of the week, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... Senator Joni Ernst and Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senators Ernst and Blackburn are the only two Republican women on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And every day during this process, they are talking with the Heritage Foundation's Vice President for Governmental Relations, Tommy Binion, to discuss Judge Barrett's confirmation and the hearings. Ernst and Blackburn, they're also good friends in Virginia. They are so busy. So the fact that they are able to take some of their time to really let the American people know what's going on and their thoughts. I'm just so grateful for. So we wanted to share a little clip of that on today's podcast. This is the second day of grilling. How's she doing? Oh, she is doing a great job. And I am just so pleased for her because uh, how wonderful that uh, she represents uh, conservative women so well. And, you know, Tommy, it is just um, everybody is fully aware there is a double standard in D.C. Liberal women are elevated and glorified, and they are just given such accolades, but conservative women are diminished and ridiculed and mocked, and they have to fight for every rung on the ladder that they're able to achieve. And um, I, I just think that she has shown that here she is. She's basically 
a legal outsider, if you will. To listen to the rest of the podcast and to all the other episodes, you can search for Perspectives, the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll also be sure to leave a link here in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lauren. Uh, yeah, I was listening today and it's just so good. I love their insight. Um, okay, so up next are Twitter questions. So we took uh, a little break from our, our Twitter poll for a couple of weeks, but we are going to have one back up this week. It's going to be on my Twitter page, Virginia underscore Allen five. So we want to hear from you all. Be sure to check it out. So this week's Twitter poll question is, what is your favorite fact about Judge Amy Coney Barrett? We have a couple options. You can pick if she she clerked for Justice Scalia, that she's a mom of seven, or you can write in your own response. So let us know. We want to hear from you guys. And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please go ahead and subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. It really does make such a difference. I just want to stress. So please go right now. Give us a review. Five-star rating. We really appreciate it. All right. And with that, have a great rest of your week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.